Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 399. You know what that means, Kristen. 400 is right around the corner. Very excited about it. But let's talk about today's guest who's very cool to have on. His name is Tom Teller. He is a founder and executive producer over at Frame 48. Uh, a really cool, uh, a fairly new studio that's uh, right around the corner from us in the, in Culver City. And they did some really fun work. And it was really great to sort of uh, take a deep dive into the work they're doing, uh, see what kind of what inspires them, uh, and also see some of the amazing, cool ideas they have around AI and things of that nature. So really cool to talk to them. Kristen, what did you think of Tom? Well, this was like such a fun podcast because I feel like it's good for people to hear like Tom kind of tells us um, kind of how he navigated into the film world right out of school. And um, I think they've been around now for six years um, and they survived through the pandemic, which that was very impressive because they were still young going into that. So that was a great story. Um, and then he just gives us a good insight of how it's good to get um, to know all aspects of the film industry and not just one area and how that just really broadens like the different jobs that you might get and can bid for. Um, and like you said, we are highlighting their recent music video for Muse, um, which is called You Make Me Feel Like It's Halloween. It's really fun. This will be premiering on Halloween or this episode will be. So watch the um, music video. We'll have it in the podcast notes. Um, and he also just talks us uh, through the whole production process of that video and how it was kind of one of their more large scale um, videos that they've done or work. So, and it's really cool. So, and how they got someone just uh, that they knew to do the mocap for him and all that. So love that. Um, and then you guys also get into a little bit of the AI discussion, kind of the good, the bad, the future in its in industry. So yeah, it's all around good podcast and happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Halloween, everybody. Yeah. And thanks, Tom, for being such a great, uh, great host. And I can't wait. They said you're going to move into a new office. And so uh, we should totally go over and check that out, Kristen, because it's, mm -hmm. again, right around the corner from us. Yeah. So we got a couple of announcements. Uh, as you guys know, uh, uh, a lot of uh, V-Ray 6 is out for a lot of our products. Uh, SketchUp, Rhino, uh, uh, <laughs> Cinema 4D, uh, 3DS Max, Maya. Uh, the other ones are all coming very, very soon. So keep an eye out for that. Just go to chaos.com and see when, when they're coming out. Uh, we've got a couple of events happening uh, in this early November. What's going on, Kristen? Yeah, so November 3rd through 5th, we will have a SketchUp event, which will be at the China 3D Design Summit, and Chaos and Inkscape will be there, so you can meet them, and it will be an in-person event. And the other one is November 7th, and you will be talking at the Real-Time Conference. And if you'd like to learn more about that, go to realtime.community slash conference um, to find out all the info. But for the Chaos events, go to chaos.com slash events. Perfect. Yes, exactly. Uh, go to chaos.com slash events for our events. But again, I will be talking at the real-time conference. I'll be talking about virtual production. Uh, I'll, I'll be sort of going through some of the uh, tests I've done for doing uh, full ray tracing inside of uh, or connecting with uh, Unreal. So getting Vantage and Unreal connected and how that has an advantage in virtual production and also be participating on a panel on virtual production as well. So it'll be a lot of fun. So make sure and go check that out. Again, that is November 7th. Uh, okay, if people want to know more about the podcast, Kristen, where can they go? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. Perfect. And if you guys have any ideas for podcasts or you'd like to have any comments or suggestions, please let us know. Email us labs at chaos.com. We would love to hear from you. But for now, 
Please enjoy episode number 399 featuring Mr. Tom Teller of Frame 48. Welcome to another CG Garage where the Chaos Group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. All right, so listen, uh, I saw some of your work, obviously, and I saw the... Um the music video you guys did just in time for for Halloween, which is awesome. Uh, but I, I'm really curious. I'm fine. I mean, obviously, you guys are a very young company, right? How how long have you been around? Yeah, so we've been around for a little over six years. Um, we founded the company back in 2016 down in Orange County, um, and then moved up to LA. Um, I think a year after that. So we've been in LA for about five years. Um, yeah, so young company, um, but we're here in Culver City. Awesome, which is right around the corner for from our office. I'm currently at home right now, but not, but uh, but yeah, it's really really cool. But what? So what got you guys into this? Like, what? How, why did you want to start a company? What or what? First of all, what was your interest in visual effects and animation? Yeah, um, well, it goes way back, as I'm sure, like most of these <laughs> podcasts. Like, it's like, oh, I was born wanting to work in animation. Um, yeah. No, for me in uh, high school, I kind of started experimenting with filmmaking. Uh, mainly actually action sports so like skiing and other like kind of more documentary-esque filmmaking um, as well as starting to learn about video game design visual effects like everything kind of goes hand in hand when you're initially learning it right mm-hmm. um, so once I kind of started to explore that I thought it might be a good idea to try out film school so ended up going to Chapman University in um, Orange County that's where I met um, my business partners as well as kind of a lot of the people we work with today um, so it went to Chapman for film and then while I was there, started to pursue VFX more. So it's actually kind of a later thing for me, but just like the doors it unlocks to tell a story entirely in the computer and just test things out. Like it's so easy nowadays to just get something on the page that that was just completely addicting to me. And I do love traditional filmmaking. I still do live action projects. Um, but our studio has really honed in on CGI cause it's just like, it's like a creative um, ball pit, you know, you just jump in and, and make whatever you want. So it's super fun as a team to do. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. You, you say that, I mean, because, you know, obviously filmmaking, filmmaking tools right now are, are obviously becoming much more, more and more digital back in the day. There was sort of a separation between visual effects co- companies and training and filmmaking training. Do you find that learning both at the same time sort of was, uh, enabled or helped both of those different parts of what you're doing? I think so. And there's so much crossover now, um, especially like in the work we do that some of it's live action, some of it's CGI, some of it blends the two Um, to have a vocabulary that maybe originates from a traditional filmmaking background, especially when you're talking about cameras and, you know, setting a scene and figuring out how to shoot the thing. Um, We approach it, at least at frame 48, really from a traditional filmmaking perspective of like, if you're actually shooting this commercial, you're actually doing this music video how would you cover it? Like, would you need a crane? Would you need to, you know, have a snorri cam, do it handheld? Like what's the approach traditionally and kind of act that out. And then as like the extra level of love and uh, 
spice you throw on at the end, it's like, then you really leverage the power of CG. It's like, this camera can go anywhere. But if you start the conversation to that point, like you can so easily get lost in the unlimited amount of options, right? So it almost helps to kind of approach it from a more limited perspective and then open up your possibilities once you've figured out a direction, right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're, you're, you're right about that. I mean, I always thought that one, you know, the first thing you should do when you want to learn uh, rendering and lighting and CG is to pick up a real camera and see what that does, you know? Definitely. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Well, this is really cool. Um, so one of the other things I was sort of curious about is like, you know, you guys got together, you obviously went to school together and starting a business, like what was the, you know, what are some of the challenges of starting? I mean, you, you never even, did you go straight to starting a business? You didn't start in a studio before that or anything, right? Um, yeah. So the origin story, I guess we graduated undergrad, um, in 2016 and right around that summer, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Cause you know, you go to film school and the plan, right. For everybody is to, I'm going to be a director. I'm going to be a DP. Um, and no fault to film school, but like the, the real world is like a little different than you just walk out the door and go get a job. So I was trying to figure out like, do I want to try to be a director at a different company and be represented for commercials? It's kind of this tedious process of like, what's the path of least resistance and the most fun sounding. Um, and the beauty of film school is that it's a bunch of creative people together for four years, just making stuff. Like you're not worrying about, uh, what, what's this person's rate? What's the client need? It's like, what's the coolest idea? And everybody is there together. So that kind of energy is something that I was like, I don't really want to leave that behind. I do want to leave college, but I don't want to leave that energy. Right. So it's like, how can mm -hmm. we recreate that? And it's really like, let's just make that in a studio. And so obviously it's easier said than done, right? Like make stuff with your friends is a great concept. Um, but as anyone will tell you, like running a business is uh, extremely challenging. It's a ton of work. Um, you know, runs the gamut, like our day here, it's like, I could be doing, working on a creative project one second or talking to a client or doing a podcast or taking out the trash. Like it's unlimited, uh, amount right. of things. So it definitely is complicated and a lot of work, but it is so much fun. And so that kind of right out of school, I was like, that sounds like a great thing to keep doing this with my friends, making stuff that we want to make. Um, and we'll figure out the rest along the way. So that first year of business, I was I got my master, my MBA, um, and started the company at the same time. So it's like worst case scenario, you you either leave with a company or an MBA or both. So it was like a little bit of like uh, stacking the deck of trying to do as much in that first year to see what uh, would stick. So um, luckily, both things happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I mean, uh, you know, I've 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 spoken to several people that have started businesses and studios and successful in that. But they always started with a list of clients because they had already worked with a bunch of different companies, and then they brought were able to bring some of those clients with them. How did you get clients having just come out of school? <laughs> yeah, that's the like eternal struggle, right? It's like every every creative ever is the the question is like, how do I get clients. Um, so one of the benefits of being like coming right out of school and doing it is that you're living life like on the cheap, you're figuring out what you're doing. So um, we didn't necessarily have like a huge cost of living or a huge cost of doing business. It was like myself and Julian um, who started the company. And so it was like us living in a house, pretty low cost. So the cool thing about starting a business that way, especially something like a studio where the revenue is directly tied to the creation of the project 
is that you can do a project, make a little bit of money, put that back into the company, put that back into the next project. And it's really easily, easily, um, one step before the next. It's not like you need to amass a bunch of capital and get investors and you're not sure if what you're doing is working. It's like so literally obvious, the feedback loop. It's like we made a project that was fulfilling and we made a little bit of money. What should we do with that money? It's like, so as a business model, it's actually really simple at the beginning. So it was, it was kind of nice, like training wheels, one project at a time. Um, and in regards to finding clients, um, a lot of it was through Chapman um, alumni connections, you know, making sure people knew what we were doing. Um, you know, you do a lot of favorite jobs and kind of spread the word and try to build a brand, right? Like this is what we, this is what we make. This is what we do. Um, Frame 48 originally started as a all-inclusive production company. So shooting, doing post-production, kind of everything, right? Um, and over the years, we've really honed in more on post-production services and then CGI visual effects as, as a whole. And now it's really entirely focused on computer-generated animation and motion design. Um, and that's actually helped us a lot in terms of finding clients is like having more of a specific vision of what the ideal job looks like. That's way more easy to identify um, this client would be a good fit versus we do everything. Um, mm. It's kind of hard to find the right fit, you know, because anyone could be your client. So then you just don't know what to do, right? Yeah. And I guess maybe you're seen more as a specialist if you know, if you, these guys are focused on that. This is, that's also an interesting thing. But yeah, I, I think that's really cool. Uh, you know, but find, finding, you guys seem like really smart. You know, you're finding your customers one at a time, getting them, trying to get repeat business and keep growing your business slowly, slowly, slowly. But you're right. It's very obvious. What we do, here's what we do. I'll show you exactly what we did. That's really great. So, what was your first project? What was the first project you guys got? Oh my God. Um, I should have done a little history lesson on the <laughs> the company before I, I got on the, the Zoom. I think one of the first projects we did was a cookware commercial for uh, my cousin, actually, who worked at a, a company. Um, so it was like a live action shoot, like filming like pots and pans. And like that was like the coolest thing ever because someone was paying us to make a thing. Right, right to give to them so like as newbies in the creative field it's like oh wow this is actually you know we have a budget and we're spending the budget it's like how cool is that and you know now if someone came to me to shoot a cookware commercial i don't know if i'd be as excited maybe doing one in cg would be really cool because you could make the pots and pans dance and stuff but um yeah that and then i actually came across our first pitch deck the other day wow. which we still have we like printed it out and like <laughs> found it at Kinko's and uh, still have it upstairs actually. But we uh, I took it into the agency is for a tire company, I think. And, uh, you know, showed them the deck and like walked them through it. And like, there's literally a page in there that's just called budget. And like, I think one of the line items is just like people, like it's the most simple budget ever. I don't think we got the job because we were obviously like so green, um, <laughs> but it's kind of fun to look back on that and be like, I wish our line item budgets could be that simple nowadays, right? It's like there right. was like six lines on that on that bid. So, yeah, yep, yep, yeah. But I guess we don't know what you don't know until you start doing that a little bit true, more for real, true. right? But that's really cool. That's really cool. Okay, so nowadays, you know, fast forward to 2022, you guys have obviously done a fair amount of projects at this point. What's some of the projects you guys really enjoy doing? Um, yeah, we're definitely doing more. It's more projects now. Um, you know, less 
one project than the next. There's a lot more overlap. So things in early creative stages, things we're delivering, things in production. Um, at any given time, we usually have like five or six projects going. So we're still a small studio, but it's more complex now. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the most exciting projects, I mean, I would say the Halloween video is probably our best work to date and was like the most fun to work on for our studio. Um, we do a lot of commercial work, which can be really fun and fulfilling, especially when the client, like some of our clients just give us so much creative freedom. So we get on, we talk with them, we jam out, bring them into the studio, talk about ideas, look at references. And that kind of creative jam session is something that's been so fulfilling. So it's, it's almost more about the client relationship and the freedom to explore than it is about the specific product or the specific agency. Um, but in terms of favorite project, yeah, I mean, I'd have to say it's Halloween. Like that was just such a great blend of referencing iconic horror films, trying out new things internally with our R and D and pipeline, um, and just making stuff that we could like really spend that time, like putting the polish on. Cause you know how it is. Like sometimes you're just rushing to finish a project and you see yep. it and you're like, oh man, if we only we had a little more time, that could have been better. And this is a video where it's like, no, that we left it all on the court. And this thing, the team here just that's rarely done. <laughs> that's yeah, rarely done. Exactly. <laughs> so exactly. that's awesome that you guys had that opportunity. Okay, well let's let's talk through it. Let's let's go take us through the project. Like first of all, how did you guys get it? How did you guys figure out how to get it? How did you guys pitch it? And how did you know how did it go from there? Yeah. So Muse has been a longtime collaborator of ours. Um, the first project we worked on with them was. A video for Something Human, which was on their last studio album, Simulation Theory. Um, we actually got that project through a friend. Um, the director was Lance Drake, and the production company was Florence, and we knew some people there. So they recommended us to do the VFX. And then from there, throughout time, we've kind of become more of a partner. So we worked on the tour visuals for their last tour, a bunch of music videos, fully CG, and we've kind of become this you know creative collaboration now for some of their content. Um, For this video in particular, they reached out, their creative director, Jesse Lee Stout, who's just awesome, um, emailed me and said, hey, the band wants to do a video. Um, Here's a song, it's about Halloween. Uh, Matt, the lead singer, lead man of Muse, like here's some of Matt's ideas, wants it to reference like Stephen King novels, some specific movies, um, and kind of give me a little bit of info about the inspiration of the song, like where it came from, what it means, um, and kind of let us run with it. So I put together a treatment, kind of pulling in other references to kind of build what horror films were being referenced or novels, um, and then kind of this story that picks up um, from where the Will of the People video left off and then takes us along this journey of these four people who enter a house to kind of maybe vandalize the house, but the house ends up uh, doing the opposite. Right. Uh, so they kind of came to us with like a an initial concept that was just awesome. And the song is just asking for a cool video. Um, and then we, you know, did a treatment and everyone at the studio here started coming up with ideas. And part of the cool process and the freedom of CG allows you to say like, you know, it'd be neat is a mirror room where someone jumps out of the mirror and grabs somebody. It's like, you can do that in like an hour. It'll look really bad, but it'll get the idea across to yourself of like, is this a good idea? Should we show this to the client? Um, right. So that allows us to just iterate really quickly. So for our process, we then jumped into previs, and everyone here 
even executive producers who don't know Maya were like learning Maya to just like test out an idea. Like Julian here, um, he started learning Maya because he's like, I've got this idea for the shot. Let me just do it. Um, and that's kind of the energy we like to have here of just, hey, try it out, make it yourself, learn something new. Uh, so that was that was pretty exciting for everyone to to join together and bring ideas to the table. Yeah, yeah, that's really that's really awesome. And so, did they did you, they decide that we're going to do it all CG, or did you guys like was that part of the idea? It's like, oh, we'll do it all CG. Or what was the reasoning to, behind doing it all CG? Yeah, so some we've done some other full CG projects in the past. The video we did before this one for them was fully CG. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, it was a question because. The band kind of wanted to be in the video, which would make an argument for doing a full live action shoot. But we also wanted to do some crazy visuals, you know, people getting ripped through mirrors and the camera going down a hallway with blood filling the entire hallway. Like these are things you can't shoot um, or can't shoot on a music video budget either. Like getting a, building a whole house and filling it with blood. Like we don't have Stanley Kubrick uh, on our roster. (laughs) So uh, I think what was interesting about the fully CG approach is it's like, Hey, we can do all this stuff and we can lean into the designed nature, the, the look of it um, and make it stylized, not try to make it 100% fully real, but kind of make it its own, its own thing that's informed by realistic textures and lighting, um, but has its own kind of approach. And the band really liked that because it gave us freedom. Um, well, it also kind of gave it this graphic visual style, right? Did they, did they, and were they part of the animation? Did you guys do any motion capture with them or, or did you guys animate things by hand or? Yeah. So for this video, the band, they didn't do motion capture. We did do, um, there was a small shoot in London to get like the security camera footage of the band. Mm-hmm. So they're still in it and they have some fun lines in there referencing movies and, and whatnot. Um, for the animation of the characters, we did a session here, um, with, an actor friend of ours, Chase Cargill. So he put on our XN suit and he rented out of space down the street and did, I think, two mocap sessions to get the base animation. Um, and then from there, the long, arduous process of cleaning it up and making it look uh, really good and, and stylized and pop. Uh, but that was crucial, right? To have a nice initial base layer of right. what things were going to look like and also to get sign off from the band before you spend weeks animating with a team, you can get a pretty good idea with mocap of what's going to happen. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, so, so how long was the the process? I mean, obviously, like you said, you had to do a lot of cleanup on, on mocap, et cetera. So what was in use, but you also said you had the luxury of getting it completely right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, we did have a nice like little test run, not a test run, but another project with them right before this that was fully mm-hmm. CGI. So we kind of tested our whole pipeline of full CG character music video with, you know, like a hundred shots and not a lot of time. So what's the most efficient way with a team, um, you know, very small team to get through all of these shots. So that was a great, the will of the people video was a great stepping stone to be like, okay, how can we do this with even cooler, more diverse scenes? Um, But I think all in all, we had like two months to do the whole project from creative to final delivery. So it sounds like a lot, but then once you start breaking it down into weeks and like (laughs) have a few weeks here for previs, a few weeks here for post-production and color and sound, 
it's like you're really working with a tight <laughs> tight timeline so there was a ton of overlap of we're working on assets while we're animating the same shot and you combine it um and enrique our head of cg here just did an incredible job like juggling all of that and jumping into shots himself setting looks handing that off to the team working with the animators like um everyone here wears a lot of hats and he really outdid himself on this project like led the charge so how big is the team um on this video we had i want to say like seven people in house and then probably seven more people um that were working remote so it's about four animators uh three cg generalists um a couple asset designers and so yeah it, it was a pretty tiny team a lot of people were moving between like lighting and then they'd do some animation tweaks and throw it up on the render farm check it in a couple hours and realize they forgot to turn something on and then do it all right. over again but yeah and you guys primarily used maya for this one uh maya yeah is that what you, yeah. you, you primarily use Maya for it? Okay. Yeah, we used um, our full software seed for the project was Maya for probably 70% of the CG, 3ds Max for the other 30%, um, Houdini for most of the dynamics, V-Ray for all the rendering, and then Nuke for all the compositing. Oh, okay. Pretty much everything, yeah. Yeah, how was it working with V-Ray in different packages and sort of allowing them all to, like all your renders to sync up is that was that helpful <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh, it was amazing i mean i've been using v-ray since i started learning 3ds max when i was like a kid um and it's a great piece of software and the i'm a 3ds max person i did a you know handful of shots in the video in max and then a lot of the team is in maya and the ability to talk between software packages i mean we could share assets really easily with v-ray proxies and olympics transfer materials relatively painlessly um, and even just like in terms of having a conversation about it, I don't use Maya a whole lot, but I'm really familiar with Max and I can just talk to someone about materials and they'll know exactly what I'm talking about because it's the same parameters. Um, right. So yeah, it worked basically flawlessly. Most of the video is rendered on GPU because um, we render in-house on our computers and on our farm. So okay. it's pretty important that the frames weren't taking like hours per frame, right? Yeah. What's it like having a, I mean, obviously, you know, a GPU market's finally leveling out a little bit, but how was yeah. it, what's it like? <laughs> I mean, being, being a GPU house, uh, uh, which is cool, uh, allows you to have a smaller farm in a lot of ways and use less power and relative to the amount of frames you can get out. Uh, so what, how, how big was your farm and how big was your setup to do this? Yeah. So for the most part, it's all workstation based. So we've got 12 workstations here, all of which are equipped with thread rippers and anywhere between 2080Ti's and now 4090's with a few A6000's sprinkled in there. Um, so the workstations are extremely powerful. You do hit a bottleneck when you're trying to work and render at the same time because you know everything renders through deadline and uses the workers um, to render. So if you're trying to work, you're going to turn off your workers. So during the day, you're not rendering a whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, I was trying to avoid going to the cloud on this one to see if we could just do it all in house, which worked great because some of those scenes, you know, were only a few minutes of frame. Obviously, with GPU, there are drawbacks. Some things don't render correctly. Sometimes you run out of video memory. So there was either some creative performance tweaks we had to do on some shots, or bite the bullet and render CPU, um, which wasn't that big of a deal. You know, it doesn't take that much longer. But 
Well, uh, that's a, the our, cool thing. You can always fall back on a CPU if you need to. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> if you can't, works, it just takes yeah. Because if you can't, yeah. If you don't, if you if you run out of memory and you're only you're you're stuck with this CPU or GPU, that's kind of a problem. Well, that's interesting. Uh, okay, so uh, so what were some of the biggest uh, besides? You know, you said you guys had had some time, but really you only had two months and everything. Considering it was pretty tight, what were some of the biggest challenges on this project that, uh, that you guys had? Biggest challenges, I think. I mean, this one was was really interesting because we had so many different environments. You know, you've got this exterior house at nighttime, you've got the inter interior foyer, you've got um, the mirror room, you got this room with 10,000 people all wearing masks that are falling off, you've got a room at the end that's like pillars with faces on them. So it's definitely overwhelming, like especially once we agreed on the treatment, there was a little bit of like, oh, geez, what did, what did we decide to do? Because um, you're talking about you know 10 to 15 unique environments with character animation happening interacting with things and and everything so to get past that overwhelming moment it's like okay let's break it down see how many shots we're working with and luckily this video was only 55 shots or something um so that kind of helps ease the pressure because sometimes you're working with 150 shots in a music video which can just be like oh man um, right. and so from there it's like let's take each environment and start to build the assets start to feel out the blocking and just break it down into pieces. So that helped get over that challenging moment of, oh boy, this is a bit overwhelming and just get things on the page, get ideas out. Um, so that was really helpful to just kind of get going. Normally we wait to do look dev until previs is pretty done, right? But with this project, we were doing look development and lighting right at the beginning um, at the same time as previs. So they could kind of just happen in tandem. Um, so that helped with that. Other challenges, yeah, I mean, rendering is always tough and like managing the farm. Um, we had a couple people abroad. So the time zone situation of making sure they're remoting into computers that are working and not rendering. And so there's a lot of kind of sleepless nights managing that. Um, but aside from that, like it was a pretty smooth process. Like we've got it dialed, dialed in here. We have a new project. Here's our steps to get to the final delivery. Um, and that's quite cool because once you have a process and anyone who works in a studio feels this, it's like once that process is pretty, pretty good, you can start to augment it or make it more efficient or introduce new tools. And that's kind of the fun part is like, how can we tweak our pipeline or our creative? Should we do a creative meeting like outside or go somewhere else? It's like doing little experiments to, to modify the process. And that's a little bit what this project felt like it was doing what we did before, but to a higher level. Um, and that always feels good to not be solving problems, but instead be creating ideas that you like. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah that's, a, that's a good way to, to put it. Well, speaking of which, you know, take, taking from the last project and enhancing it through this project, what would you do for the next project to enhance it? What, what, what would be the next step for you guys? Oh man, I think more automation in terms of our pipeline, we built a lot of really cool tools. Um, we don't have like a pipeline TD or a you know CS team or anything here, but um, with the small team we do have, we've built some tools to automate. Like um, when you render a shot, it automatically uploads to Shotgun and then tells someone to review it. So things like that are pretty cool because if you can keep all of the effort of our team targeted at 
creating the stuff and talking about it, um, that's ideal. So you're not manually dragging things or uploading things or linking things to people. Um, so continuing to do that. Um, and I, I think a part of the process that really is fun for our team and makes this whole thing worth it is like that initial two week period, like before you're fully committed to everything you've laid out in your treatment or your storyboards. Um, and once, you know, after the point, you kind of know you have the job, like that little window, I would love to extend that if we can, it's always harder to do, but, um, and let everyone on the team really play and come up with ideas. Cause that's like the most free you feel in a creative setting of there's no pressure, throw something at the wall, see if it sticks, see if it plays in the edit. Uh, and you get such a cool harmony with a creative team. Like we'll have Michelle, our editor, throwing in shots and coming up with ideas. And then Steven, one of our incredible CG artists will be like, oh, what if this works? And he'll send a link over to Michelle. And everyone is just like in their zone, coming up with ideas. Um, so I think more of that where there's just so much like seamless um, collaboration amongst the team, finding yeah, ways to infuse that across the project. Yeah. It, it's kind of rare to, to sort of have your, the, that creative freedom. A lot of visual effects companies are just given a bunch of storyboards and sort of make this, <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't have a shitty yeah. opportunity to do that on your own. And that's why we've really enjoyed and really gravitated towards projects that are fully inclusive. So creative, Either we're coming up with the creative or we're working closely with an agency coming up with the creative, um, making that here and then polishing it here, coloring it with our uh, partners at Company 3, and really facilitating the whole production process. Like that's so much fun because then when the project's done, you're like, hey, this is us. This is what we're here to do to make versus just doing cleanup or VFX on a, someone else's project it's it's a little less i don't know fulfilling to just have your little piece of the pie and especially with some more traditional vfx work it's either wrong or it's perfect like right. it either looks bad or not correct or it's it's done like there's so little breathing room of creative style sometimes that it can be exhausting so that's why we've gravitated more towards the motion design uh creative studio type approach yeah, uh, you guys do a lot of great motion design work. Obviously, there's a lot of that stuff on your on your site, which people should totally check out. What's some of your inspiration behind motion design, and what are some of your passions about that? Oh man, I think motion design as a type of work is something that's more recently interesting to me in the last probably four years. Um, originally, I was more focused on narrative filmmaking and traditional visual effects. Um, and then kind of this magical motion design thing entered my life. And I'm like, wait, what is this? And you look at all these heavy hitter companies that just make incredible work. I mean, everything from man vs. machine to tendril to, I mean, blur is more, uh, video game cinematics, but they're the best in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so all, there's so much incredible inspiration out there of amazing artists that create just based on a brief or based on a product or pulling from inspiration. Um, and that's been quite fun to build a studio around of like, okay, how do we do that? Um, Cause it's, it's, it's quite fun. Like motion design in general, it's like, you're basically trying to create something that feels good. It's like, it's got to right. move in a way that, that conveys a feeling. 
it's basically dance, which, uh, you know, I love dancing and it's dance on the computer and you're trying to communicate to the viewer purely through the way something moves. And that's just so simple, but so complicated at the same time. There's also a level of abstraction to it that is kind of interesting that allows- Yeah, you're not bound by just the the, pro- the specific product or the parameters of the project, right? It's like, right. what can you do that represents this idea? Yeah, what I also think is interesting is the world has changed uh, a lot in the commercial sense of things, right? Uh, there are fewer and fewer people watching TV. Uh, mostly people are on streaming. And so the, the, the world of commercials is sort of revealed in smaller bites and smaller pieces that fit between like social media platforms or, or just even on the side of a web page. Right. So, uh, that is kind of an interesting thing. What was it? What are your thoughts about, about that and how, how, how some of this content gets consumed these days? It's definitely an interesting change, right? Like the, the era of broadcast thirties is kind of moving behind us like they still exist obviously but there's so many more deliverables now like people want snapchat verticals and instagram reels and you know we'll have to do a project and then like we need a hundred video files versus before it used to be like your broadcast delivery and you're done um and there's just way more content to make i mean the kind of marketing approach as of right now for a lot of companies is just to compete with the level of noise that the consumer is experiencing so everyone else is making a new commercial every three weeks. Like we need to make a new commercial every three weeks, but like there's no money to make commercial every three weeks for a lot of clients. So it has created a higher, a larger requirement for volume of work. Um, and so you do have to be really creative as a studio of like, okay, how do we do all of this? Um, how do we feel all of these deliverables? Um, and how do you make something that stands out? Cause if you go on a web page and there's something in the banner, there's something that plays in line in the page, there's an ad before the video and the person has ad block on, like there's so many interesting problems to solve. I mean, that's why we're not an ad agency, <laughs> right? but um, in terms of actually making the content, it's like at the end of the day, you want to make something that sticks out to the person watching it and really speaks, speaks to them, which I think is a, is cool. You know, despite all of these things about advertising that have changed and made it more difficult, um, that is kind of inherently neat. It's like there's more stuff, but if you make your stuff really good, then it will just stand out more than ever, um, which is nice. Yeah, I haven't I haven't done a commercial in so long. Just the idea of making a commercial that's a vertical video seems <laughs> crazy to me. You know, at first I was really a hater on it, um, but now that we do vertical quite a bit, it's actually kind of a fun because you're so accustomed to looking at sixteen by nine. It's like everything is a rectangle. Right. Um, it, horizontally, but with vertical, it really changes how you can frame things. It's like, oh, we can actually completely restructure how we build the set and CG because the main deliverable is vertical. Um, right. So that's kind of fun. It changes your frame of reference a little bit depending on the aspect ratio. But also, like even moving graphics, you know, like suddenly action can take place up and down different than side to side. So exactly, yeah. it's kind of a it's a fascinating way to to think about about video. What are some of the trends that you're, you're, you're looking forward to? What are, you know, in terms of your work? I mean, you guys are a very nimble studio. 
and uh, fairly young. You're not that young, but you're fairly young, but you're fairly nimble and you're doing- <laughs> I've, a, I've exited the very young category. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think so, for sure. I mean, but it's, but it's, it's especially, you know, now, like actually, actually, let's go back a little bit. What, what was it like being at, when the pandemic started, you were a very young studio, <laughs> right? What was it yeah. like going into the pandemic as a young studio and trying to survive that, 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 that uh, transition? Oh man. I mean, the beginning of the pandemic was, was wild. I mean, there's the element of like societal confusion that everyone experienced, right? It's like, you're going to the grocery store, all the pasta is sold out and people are wearing gloves and you don't know, like, is this thing going to kill me? Is this thing like, it's crazy. You don't know what's going on. And so I remember that really clearly of just the uncertainty and the fear of what was happening in the world. Um, and then combine that with all the jobs disappearing, which a lot, I think everyone experienced at least initially because people kind of froze their marketing budgets, the uncertainty kind of crept into projects. There was the obvious production shutdown of live action stuff where everything stopped for a whole quarter. Um, so that was definitely concerning, right? And then you have this company that's just, you're paying payroll to everybody. You don't know what to do. So we filled that time a lot with R&D, explorations, creative projects um, for like months, which was a lot of fun. But as a business owner, it was extremely stressful and terrifying because you don't know when it's going to end. So you're just watching the bank account like go down and you're like, is this going to come to an end? So you spend a lot of time, wasted time, probably worrying and building lists of like, what are the potential clients I could reach out to to try to get work during this time? When in reality, I wish I could have just taken the time to like disappear for a month and go like meditate or something because there was only so much you could do, right? Um, mm. But that's that's like a hindsight thing. In the moment, you're just trying to survive. Um, luckily, the work came back roaring and we're busier than ever. Um, but that initial COVID stage was definitely like, is this the beginning of the end? What's happening? Uh, so yeah, it was definitely scary, scary for sure. Yeah, I can imagine. But it sounds like, you know, you just, to you, for you guys, you, you felt like you, you could wait it out and it suddenly the work started to come back, right? Yeah, exactly. And like, luckily we were in a position to do that. Like, yeah. But a lot of companies too, they just invested in something or they just moved into a new space or they were low on capital or they just expanded. Like, there's a lot of reasons that three months could be fatal to your business. Um, so we were lucky in that regard that we were prepared for that. But, um, I know a lot of companies that didn't make it through COVID for whatever reason, uh, which is super sad. So, yeah, for for sure, for sure. Okay, well, that's good. I'm glad you guys were able to survive that and get on the <laughs> other side of it. Uh, that's great. Uh, but I was going back to what I was uh, trying to ask before. Um, what about like as a as a as a fairly young studio, being fairly nimble the way you guys are? What are some of the things you are looking forward to to thinking that you can get into that's going to give you, make you guys a little bit different than, and be yeah. able to do some things cool? I mean, there's just a crazy amount of innovation happening right now. I mean, you've probably been following the whole AI art craze pretty yep. closely. <laughs> You're going where um, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you were kind of leading me in this direction. And I, you know, I, it's a, uh, I, I'm like really conflicted about it. And I think a lot of people are like, and for people listening that don't necessarily know, it's like there's new neural network algorithms that use diffusion models to create artwork from text out of a noise pattern. So um, 
it's really neat because you could type in guy on podcast sitting in front of computer and it would probably do someone kind of like what you're seeing right now um mm-hmm. as a completely original piece of artwork that is you know inferred based on uh tags and other pieces of data that have kind of been tied to images um so that's really cool but at the same time like there's a lot of artists that are going to lose their work to tools like this especially like concept art illustration i mean we already well, use Okay, hold okay. on a second. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been a discussion, and I'm curious to hear your thing. Do, do you, first of all, do you hire, do you have a bunch of concept artists that you guys hire, or do you have on concept artists on staff? We don't have concept artists. We usually pull reference images from online um, or kind of build our own stuff. Um, but we do hire storyboard artists per project, yeah. Okay. But that's... I mean, so you know, you don't even use concept artists, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they didn't have a job either way with you guys, right? Uh, so, I, but at the same time, you know, uh, I know a lot of concept artists that use AI now. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, that's the eternal debate, right? Is, is this a tool to be leveraged by artists to become more efficient, um, to become faster, to expand their creative ceiling, to recognize more styles and more subjects? Or is it a thing that can be used to replace people? Um, and in my opinion, it's definitely both. Like, if you were to look at this thing in a vacuum right now, um, oops, sorry. If you were to look at this thing in a vacuum right now, sure, it's not replacing 99.9% of the creative jobs in the world. I don't hire concept artists. I might use stable diffusion to come up with a cool reference, but um, it's not taking a job off the table as far as my business is concerned right now. But um, in a year, two years, three years. I mean, if you look at Dolly 1.0 from a year ago, it's actually like a joke compared to the diffusion yeah. models of right now. And that's 12 months ago. Um, so the idea that graphic design and 2D um, assets will not be replaced or utilize AI or minimize the job pool of AI, I think isn't even a, a question. Like it's definitely going in that direction. The big question is at what point, you know, how, how far does that go? Like, you already have tools to create 3D assets, albeit they look very rudimentary, but it does exist. Um, I was playing with one earlier this week to create like low poly text-based uh, OBJs. So that's really cool. And it's a tool we use here. Like we have a stable diffusion model running on our render farm where you can type in a prompt and it'll give you 200 images in 30 seconds, which is great for creativity. Um, but yeah, it is, it is a big question. I think the future of the creative is probably to orchestrate uh, a bunch of machines in a way. Like you're working with an AI assistant who's kicking you images and you're deciding which ones you like or which ones you want to augment. Um, that's probably the future of like creatives in the world is like working alongside neural networks like this because um, we already are, right? We are. We are. I mean, there's AI tools. I mean, I've been sort of doing some 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 idea ideating about this and trying to figure it out. But you know, we 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 there's AI tools that we use all the time that are super useful, like a denoiser or an upscaler, you know, or things of that nature. And those are great, you know, or unpainting something behind someone, you know, because yeah. you know what you have to do is just tedious and let the com- the computer learn it on its own, so it'll do it for you. You know what I mean? So that's very useful to have, but 
I think it's like there's a lot of people out there, lo- lo- young people out there that are concerned that, oh, no, this AI is going to take my, you know, I went to school to learn to be an artist and now someone can just type it in and take my job away. So yeah, what what are your what is your advice to some of those people? Yeah, I think. I mean, I think it's a good thing to be thinking about it. I don't think it's a good thing to be worrying about no longer having a job. Like if you went to art school or you're working in 3D animation or something, it's like you are not obsolete. Your job is not obsolete. Um, I think the important thing is to look at this new set of tools, which are changing every day, as a interesting new evolution of creative generation. I mean, if you just look at the timeline of computers and art and how easy it is to create things now, like things do change. So I I don't think you should be scared about it from that regard. But I also would not put your head in the sand and and say like, oh, AI will never take, you know, AI will never beat me at chess. AI will never beat me at Go. AI will never make a piece of art or a piece of music. Like those are all things that have been said over the last 10 years, 15 years, and they're all proven untrue at this point. Um, But I don't think it's worth losing sleep over. I do think it's worth learning about though. Because it is really cool. Um, and there's so many great tools that are being created with this new uh, new stuff. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think that the most important thing for new artists and for people kind of entering the industry is to familiarize yourself with it. Um, but don't stop pursuing, like, what you think is cool. I mean, there's the argument of, is AI art art or is the art what defines art, the fact it was made by a person. Um, I'll let whoever's listening decide that for themselves. But um, regardless, you can build your own artistic taste and your own artistic portfolio um, and your view of the world and then bring that along with you to projects. And that will forever be useful. I know a lot of artists who use a lot of AI whose art is 100% looks like their art because they're using it as a tool rather than, you know, Doing that, the thing. One of the ones that was interesting is I had a conversation uh, at a conference I was just at with Mark Simonetti, who's a fairly well-renowned artist, and his problem is that like Midjourney is a lot of people in Midjourney are using his name as a prompt, <laughs> and yeah. now if you go to Google, uh, his name looks like crappy art, <laughs> and so yeah. he's like, it's polluting my brand, right? And so <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah, yeah. He's like, look at this, and he's like showing us a picture of. It's like uh, of someone used did a, a prompt of a uh, uh, lady die and uh, Queen Elizabeth boxing in a ring as painted by Mark Simonetti. And it was like, it's just like, this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's just kind of a little bit hard. So I think there's a lot of things that are unknown out there, but I definitely think I agree with you that this is going to be something that's done. Now it also sounds like you guys are using this and you guys have invested some energy, at least, at least on the R and D side into seeing where this is going to take your studio. Where do you think, where do you think it is going to take your studio? Yeah. I mean, I definitely become a little, I wouldn't say obsessed with this the last month or two, but very interested in like how to stay relevant, how to use these tools. Like, so I started learning Python just to like learn it. Cause it's a very useful tool. Um, so I like programmed an integration with our render farm to use stable diffusion. So any artist here can just type in a prompt and it will be extremely fast and give you um, whatever you're kind of looking for, or at least great idea starters, right? Like that's what's kind of cool is we could have, be having a conversation and I'm talking about uh, maybe there's a plant 
um, in an atrium and it's surrounded by sunlight. Like I just type that in and we continue our conversation. And as we're talking, images are popping up on your screen of what I just said to you. And like, that's kind of cool to say, oh, this one, this one's what I'm talking about. Um, So I think that is the very first stage of what I would consider like where this is going, which is you as an artist working with uh, several neural networks or AI tools or, um, you know, I don't know what you would, we would call them. That's a whole AI ethics debate, but, um, you're basically the tastemaker or providing instruction. And then there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes, like this level of automation that you see in a studio where you're just working on your shot and everything in the back end and the pipeline is automated. You hit save or publish and it goes to the next person and you never even have to do anything. That's how most studios operate right now. So you add in an element of an AI assistant that is, when you say you want to bring in an asset and light it with a sun, with a V-ray sun, and it knows how you like to do that, and it can just help you work through the software as quick as possible, like that's probably where this is going. So just your volume of ideas you can work through increases significantly. Um, I mean, that's been a big focus of a lot of hardware too, is like the way we interact with software. So creating tools, like Loop Deck and other products to kind of get away from the mouse and keyboard and elevate how we actually interact with the computer. I think that this is probably another phase of that, of how do we use AI or other software to make how we interact with software as efficient as possible. Um, And then, you know, there's also a world where this stuff gets so good that you want to watch a movie on Friday night, you type in a, you know, a prompt, and it kicks back kind of a strange animated film or a face swap of some famous person you want to see in an animated movie. And like, that's what you watch on Friday, like fully custom, bespoke, bizarre um, entertainment, which this there's an element of this happening already. And like, that would change entertainment significantly if it kind of moved into this strange generated content world. Um, so I'd be curious to see how that would manifest. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do love the idea of talking to your computer or, or, and asking it to do things right. Like say if I could feel like a director saying, okay, now I want you to stand over here. Okay. Now let's put a box behind there and and just (laughs) have that all figured out. That would be so cool. And then I don't have to do it myself. (laughs) It just gets done. So, uh, so, so yeah, I definitely feel that that would be that'd be cool. Actually, just directing animation through uh, through that system would be an interesting idea as well. I don't know how animators feel about that, but directing animation could be interesting to do it that way. Oh, for sure. And I mean, there's all these new. I was just reading about this new hardware system that can do volumetric capture with just four lenses. So with volumetric capture, you used to have to, you know, go to an Intel stage with five thousand cameras or something. Yep. But now it's using AI to fill in the gaps of what the motion would be. So in the very near future, you'll probably have pretty good mocap purely from a like neural network watching your camera and trying to guess the best possible animation that would match what it's seeing. I've seen um, all I've seen a mocap done with a single RGB camera. Like no yeah. <laughs> no That's depth, nuts, nothing. you know. Yeah. Like or yep. even even human faces, you know, there's always been this obsession with making the perfect CGI human. Right. But I wouldn't be surprised if in the near future you're just making a pretty good human, like we can already do quite easily. And right. then you're just deep faking a performance capture 
of a real actor onto it. And so you're creating a deep fake, like pseudo CGI double um, and completely bypassing the need to like shade them and do all of the, like the last like 1% that takes all the time. Um, I think that probably will happen and would be quite useful. I think this problem is right now, we're not seeing that last one or 2% right out of AI. We're seeing it up to like 98%, right? Yeah. And so yeah. And then you're like, oh well now I gotta take over and finish the rest. And that's the hardest And part. it's way harder <laughs> to fix too. Like yeah. once it's in a black box and like yeah. this is doing it for you, fixing a problem is basically painting it or something. It's impossible. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Do you think, I mean, how do you think, obviously, besides the way that you work, what are some of the other interesting projects that may come around that are inspired by this technology? Oh man. I mean, I think a lot of the projects we're working on right now um, have been really exciting because they're with clients. I won't say who, but that are really focused on sustainable technology or science. Um, we work a lot with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute. Oh, nice. um, they've been a client of ours for, for a few years. And like those projects are so much fun because you're working with people who are really excited about the material and you're trying to educate people or you're at the end of the day, the thing you're making is delivering information or an idea that's making the world better. Um, and that has proven to be so valuable to the team and so fun to work on. Like, look, I love doing music videos and everything, and they're super creatively fulfilling. It's also awesome to pair that with commercials or other projects that are doing good for the world. And there's so many companies now that are prioritizing sustainability or new technology to improve the world. Like that's been kind of fun to see the client base of potential clients and projects shift a little bit from just another product commercial to what you're telling me this does what, like getting on a client call and being like, this is the most insane thing I've ever heard. And you're just getting excited about what they do. And then you get to do what you do alongside that. That's just harmony. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, that's great. That's great. Can you tell us about some exciting projects that you are getting involved with and, and, you know, that are helping, like you said, the aquarium, but what else have you been working on? I can't say right now. Um, okay. The main ones we have kind of <laughs> unfolding, um, but I will yeah. say one thing we did with Monterey Bay um, last year, which was really cool is they did a project about Sir Ridge off the coast of California and they sent down a rover to take a ton of photos um, at the bottom of the ocean And so we took that data and then did a photogrammetry solve of this patch of uh, the sea floor and then, you know, created that in CG. So we have this point cloud and it's a video, it's online, but it's a point cloud of all this coral to scale. And some of these pieces of coral are seven and a half feet tall, which is insane. And, And what's cool about that is you're looking at a point cloud that's super dense and true color based on real data. You know, we have the spreadsheet of where everything is and the coordinates of, of where all those photos were taken. Um, and that's just stuff like that is so neat where you're like, this isn't just a cool design creation, but this is real. And we're just trying to get it in front of people through an artistic method. Right. Um, right. So that was quite a fun project to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, it sounds like you guys have some exciting projects on the horizon, which sounds really exciting. Um, uh, when do you think, you know, obviously what's, what's the best place? Obviously your website's a good place to start frame48.com, but what, what are sort of some other social media places people can go to and check things out? 
Yeah, make sure to uh, you know subscribe, like and subscribe, of course. Um, no, but go to <laughs> <Hit> that bell. <laughs> uh, go to frame48.com. Um, our Instagram is just frame.48. Um, we've got a lot of projects coming up right at the end of this year. Probably things are releasing, and then beginning of next year. And we're actually moving our studio to a new office down the street, a lot more oh, space nice. um, in, in Culver City. So that's really exciting. But yeah. Where are you guys uh, going in Culver City? Oh, yeah. We're going. So right now we're in downtown Culver, right next to like Trader Joe's. And I oh, think yeah. Blur is across the street near the Sony yep. lot. Um, yep. We're moving like five minutes east. So kind of down more arts district, um, Culver City, which is nice. It's like a little quieter. Uh, less, less people running around and everything, but um, awesome. we're very excited about that next phase. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Culver, I've been, I, we were, we've been in Culver for a long time. And so we've been seeing it grow and grow and grow. And like the Amazon studios, is huge. <laughs> it's <now>. crazy. <laughs> it's so huge. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really awesome. Well, that's very exciting. Uh, definitely. What's the story before we leave, what's the story behind the name frame 48? <laughs> that's a good question i mean to be completely honest with you um i designed the the logo and kind of the name at the same time so it's kind of this harmonious like there's not a great story it's more of you know what's a what's a what is film uh you know recorded to or um saved to it's like a frame of film or a frame that you're looking at all that right. kind of jazz infused in the frame and then 48 you know is twice the regular frame rate. So there's not a solid reason. It's more like, you know, what would be kind of cool, what works. Um, so yeah. I've actually been working on a better explanation that I can maybe say has been <laughs> it's gotta be a story. Uh, in gotta make a story since the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, the number 48, there's not a whole lot of great, if you Google it, there's not a whole lot of great reasons for the number 48 to exist. Um, but maybe right. we can be the reason. So yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, cool. Tom, well, thank you so much for, for, for doing this with us. Really great to, to hear from you. And, you know, obviously, uh, the music video is great. And thanks for sharing that with us just in time for Halloween. I think we're actually going to put this podcast out on Halloween. So, right. uh, <laughs> so it'll be perfect timing for that. Uh, glad we can, uh, we can have that happen. Uh, and congratulations on, you know, the continuing success of your company. Uh, and thanks for, uh, you know, your insight on some of the AI stuff. It was really cool to hear. Of course, Chris. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great questions. And it's a pleasure to be here.